you're listening to contains moderate peril an independent podcast about gaming movies and popular culture written and presented by roger edwards hello and welcome to the contains moderate peril podcast episode number 183 i'm roger and as ever i'm joined by my co-host brian good day everybody This week, we have decided to take a break from the weighty and complicated questions that we usually debate and explore, and we've decided to have a bit of fun and indulge in a Ask Me Anything. And people have been very kind and supplied some very interesting questions for us to consider and give our measured and informed response to. So, without further ado, let's begin. First question comes from Void, who you will know from the Geek to Geek podcast. So, Brian, the question, it says, you analyse and give opinions on a lot of games and movies that come out, which I love listening to. Thank you very much indeed, Void. But do you still let yourself get excited for upcoming releases? Do you allow yourself to feel hype for fun? Quite an interesting question, isn't it? Bearing in mind that we are quite old and cynical. <laughs> well, what's your take on this? So I feel like uh, games in particular are at their best before they are released to be able to play them. Yes. Part of being a gamer to me is the hype and getting excited about things sometimes for many years. Um, and then unfortunately being ultimately disappointed. <laughs> Cyberpunk. Hello. Yes. Yes, indeed. I, I, I think that's a, a very good answer and I will go along with pretty much the same sentiment. I, I do get excited to a degree, but it is very, very, very measured and contained because we've been there, seen it, done it, worn the t-shirt and been burned so many times. I can remember us playing so many MMO beaters and enjoying the beaters and then it being subtly different when you actually played the live version. Games that promised the earth promised complex, intricate, involving and engaging systems that were conspicuously absent when they actually went live. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the one that in many respects encapsulates this is Star Wars The Old Republic. I was just going to say that very thing. There you go. It was the game that as a long-time Lotro player, was pitched by many people as, it's going to be a Lotro killer. And it did for a while pull a lot of people away from Lotro. And we all went and logged into Star Wars The Old Republic and it didn't have, at the point of its release, enough systems and content to keep you engaged. And people burnt through that game and then there was this mass exodus, wasn't there, within this ridiculous amount of time? Yeah, it, it is a good game. And it was a can't miss. Do you remember that part? It was a can't miss. I still have the collector's edition box sitting in my closet with this statue. And I was so hyped on that game. You were, we, everybody was hyped on that game. It is a Star Wars MMO. How can it miss? And it missed. There you go. Anything can fail, can it? Yes. Now, a decade on, after numerous updates, expansions, overhauls, and restructuring, I'm pretty certain that game is now far more equitable. The game itself, I enjoyed. Like, the actual playing the game and being in that world was amazing. But... Um, I do wish it was more in the current Star Wars timeline than the one that it's in. 
stepping away from MMOs, other games that have obviously fallen on their face, promise too much. Cyberpunk 2077, like you say. It's a year on now from that game's release, and it's still not in the shape that they promised it would be at launch. Can't miss game, right? Super hype. Can't miss. Keanu Reeves on stage. Going to be the biggest thing ever. How many people are still playing it? Another prime example is No Man's Sky. Because there's a game it's taken, what, three, maybe four years for it to finally deliver the promise? Now, they've been very fortunate, haven't they, the developers of that game, that although the public, the, the, the player's base was peeved big time with them, they have put in the work and they have now finally delivered a game that is pretty much lives up to all the promises that they made. But man, that was a dog's dinner and a disappointment. So yeah, hype and expectation is very much filtered through the prism of bitter experience now, isn't it? Yeah, what was the one just recently? New World? That MMO? Yes, indeed. Same thing, man. Everybody got super hyped about that. All the Twitch streamers were playing. They were probably paid to play it, but they were playing it. And who's playing it now because of all the issues with it? We could spend a whole episode talking about this. Maybe we will. In a few. We could indeed, but we're going to try and be speedy and move on to the next question. Murph. You can find Murph's blog over at murphvs.us, I believe. Murph has sent the question in, what is the most surprising song you love to listen to? I'll let you go first on this, because I actually have an answer to this that might surprise people. I have a broad and eclectic music collection. Me too. It's really strange. I mean, obviously the music that leaves the most impression upon you is the music that you grow up with as a child and a teenager. I would supplement that with, as you're growing up, your parents have musical tastes and you are exposed to them. And I must admit, a great deal of the music that I like is also influenced by what my parents used to listen to. My parents were what were known politely as older parents. My parents were in their 40s when they had um, children. And that means that I've got glam rock from the 70s and obviously you still had the Beatles and their legacy very prominent in in the 70s and prog rock and then punk and then metal and then ska and then all sorts of other music classic stuff like Motown I listen to but because of my mum I listen to Slim Whitman ah. and Johnny Cash I like a variety of stuff but I on a fairly regular basis Listen to novelty songs by Benny Hill. Oh, God. I did not expect that. <laughs> There's a couple of ones that he did in the 70s that come to mind. My Garden of Love, typical Benny Hill. It's filled with excruciating puns and some innuendo. But I can't help it. I grew up with Benny Hill. And it's really weird. Whenever I'm feeling a little bit miserable or sad, I will put on something like... My Garden of Love by Benny Hill, or another novelty song called Rachel, in which he fell in love with a gypsy, but she jilted him. And it, it features some incredibly childish and excruciating lyrics, which basically go along the lines of, you promised that you would be faithful, but you cheated and you were untrue. But if I had to do it all over again, I'd do it all over you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's Benny Hill. Sorry, it's sad, but I must admit, I'm a martyr to a novelty song. I like it. Um, so, Roger, you and I both like to walk. Indeed. This is something that, that we've been doing independently of each other for a while now. Yes. And uh, I actually came up with three answers to this question. I'm only going to give one, and it's, it's actually related to what we talk about on the podcast. We could do a music episode maybe one of these days. Um, when I walk, to this day, the soundtrack that I listen to the most is Age of Conan, believe it or not. 
I have listened to the Age of Conan soundtrack probably hundreds of times at this point. I don't know what it is that that game was another one where the beginning of the game was one thing and then the actual game was something else. Yes. Just like the previous thing. But the music in that game, when I walk, for whatever reason, it relaxes me. And I like to just listen to it in order. And it's easily the most listened to thing, uh, set of songs that I have uh, on my phone. Trying to remember, obviously, it's a Scandinavian composer who wrote the music for that. Newt Aventrup Hogan. He also wrote the soundtrack for Lords of the Fallen, which is a Dark Souls clone. And both those scores are really, really, really good. Age of Conan, obviously I love it because I've listened to it so much, so very biased. There is a woman who sings in a few songs. Um, Just this amazing voice. And it was... She's so good in this soundtrack that I looked her up. And her name is Helene Boxley. And she is from a Scandinavian country. I don't remember which one. And she actually has released albums. I have one of her albums called uh, Elverhoy that I also listen to just because her voice is so good. But the story was that the composer of the Age of Conan soundtrack wanted to work with her and wrote some of these parts specifically for her and then her her people kind of talked her into doing it and if you listen to the there, there's probably i don't know maybe three or four tracks that she's on it, it's amazing also if you go onto youtube they have done an orchestral versions of this soundtrack with her standing there singing really need to watch it if you're into that kind of stuff oh there you go math brian listens to quality music from a game i listen to benny hill Make of that what you will. <laughs> Next question. Joe Ersick has very kindly provided a question. Um, interesting one, this. I like this. If you had to trade countries, where would you want to settle? And where does your co-host think you would fit in the best? <laughs> I have been to your country. I don't believe you have been to mine. You have traveled to the UK. I have not traveled to the US. And where I live... Specifically, I think you would get shot. I think I'd get shot in a lot of places, to be because, honest. Because you're different. I am different, yes, indeed. Actually, it's quite interesting that you make that point. I gave this a lot of thought because I certainly don't want to be disrespectful towards listeners' homes. Oh, of course, of course. Every country as a selling point and aspects of their culture that I will no doubt find very, very interesting. I could cite, for example, that I might want to relocate to various European countries for cultural reasons, for cuisine reasons. Now, that is a very big reason, culinary reasons. Um, I have a natural curiosity for the US because we're so similar, but at the same time, so radically, radically, radically different. However, I've given this question some thought. If I really did seriously have to relocate, and let's just say that the finances were not in any way an issue, and there were no visa or you know legal reasons to impede my settlement, I think... I would possibly look at relocating to New Zealand or Australia because there are facets of the culture that are quite similar to the UK. One of the biggest ones being the sense of humour. You look at a good many UK comedians and they will go into Australia, New Zealand and there is a great deal of comedy common ground. And I think that speaks, if you can fit in and get your head round another country's sense of humour, what makes them laugh, the things that they will find offensive or inoffensive, I think that once you've got that cracked, you might well be in the right place. Because I think, like you said, my sense of humour would be if, 
far too precarious, too bleak, and might cross a few lines for some people in the US. And I think I might find myself at the least being cancelled and at the worst being shot or burnt as a heretic. So this is interesting. And, and what people don't know about these shows is that we don't compare notes before we talk about these kind of things. My choice, if we interpret the question as where would you want to live, would be New Zealand. And interestingly enough, when I was young, my father had a job opportunity where we potentially, we didn't do it, obviously, we were going to move to New Zealand. And I would have been raised there, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. Fascinating that we have that same same exact answer. From what I know of you in the in this short period of time, I, <laughs> I, I would say I don't see that be being a problem at all. I think you would fit into New Zealand culture quite well. I think if you came and lived in the UK, I think you would handle it very, very well. I think it would offer a lot of things that you would like and enjoy. I think the pace of life would be to your liking and there might be an element of fish out of water but not to a point where it was a nuisance or afforded anxiety when i was in london we found the people uh, very welcoming and i was also in an area uh, called shropshire mm -hmm. um, for a few days extremely nice people loved americans um, everybody just in general, they wanted to talk to us because they heard our accent and had a lot of questions for us. I will say in all seriousness, if you came to America, um, most of the country, you would be just fine. You would fit in. And, and in fact, I think it would be a similar thing. People would want to talk to you um, simply because you speak differently. And I think there's an affinity between our two nations. The other thing as a Brit that I have to bear in mind are cultural and heritage and historical factors. And the fact that there's large swathes of the globe that are still pissed off with the United Kingdom for legitimate reasons. Exactly. Moving on to the next question, Syl, who you will know from the Battle Bards podcast. She also has her own website, MMO Gypsy. Syl has decided to challenge us with a, a very serious question. How do you both cope with existential dread, a.k.a. the fear of death and as the great unknown? Would you like to tackle this first, Brian, or shall I? I don't know that I personally think about that very much. And I'm sorry it's not a better answer. I'm just kind of happy to be here and live my life while I am here. And I don't think too much about why I'm here and what I'm doing, and I don't necessarily fear death, although I don't want to die. I think most people at some point in their life apply a certain amount of time to a bit of philosophical introspection and, and pondering about the nature of life and death. I certainly have at times considered these weighty concepts and uh, now at the age of 54 i don't worry too much about it i haven't fathomed out the reason why everything is here and why it exists i actually would challenge the question does there need to be a reason could it not just simply be a caprice of the systems that are in place at 54 Having had some bereavements of close family members in my life, currently looking after a mother who is 91, not in the best of health, and has recently fallen into quite a serious decline. Um, death is a reality, an inevitability. I don't have any strong views about Afterlifes, I, 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 I've spent a lot of time in the past ruminating and reflecting upon religion and other spiritual concepts that they don't shape my views. This is the deal. You are born, 
you get one trip round on the merry-go-round and then at some point you have to get off. Some people have to get off sooner, some people get off later, some people are thrown off, some people are dragged off. I just think it's important for me to utilise the time that I have left, whatever amount of time that may be, to the best possible use for myself, for my partner, for my family, my friends, and to just try and be a fairly decent human being. I don't have to be a saint, but let's try our best not to add to the general amount of shittiness that's going on in the world. Yeah, be, be as good of a person as you can be. And, and where my viewpoint kind of comes from, and this is going to maybe be a little odd, is if you think about the universe, right? <laughs> like the actual universe and space and you look up at night and you see all of those stars and there's all of those galaxies and we've been around for billions of years right this this place that that we exist in and then you think of my lifetime and earth and the solar system and even you know the milky way right our our galaxy it is so insignificant compared to the greater whole on every possible level you could think about it that i just don't worry about it anymore does that make sense yeah like 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 my lifespan is just it's not even a drop or a drop of a drop or an atom of a drop it's just our all of our lifespans like it's nothing and I don't mean that in a negative way, but it helps me put it into context that no matter how bad things get in my life and what's going on and, you know, we've got stuff going on right now in, in our world, it's so, like, it's just, it doesn't matter in the long run of the history of the actual universe. It's nothing. And somehow that gives me comfort. I don't know how. Yes. I think once you embrace certain realities, the first one being we are all dust in the wind, and the second one being the path to wisdom is recognizing how little we know, and that's applicable to all of us, I think the moment you embrace those two things, it makes life easier. Chris Froon, long-time listener and supporter of the Contains Moderate Peril podcast. Mixing it out there in the wilds of Can Can Canada. I don't know, where the hell's Canada? Canada. <laughs> Funny, because I actually call it Canada. <laughs> there you go. Keen cyclist and all-round good guy. His question is, where is the first place slash vacation you guys are going to go once COVID is over? I don't know about you, Roger, but I'm flying to Canada to Chris's house, and we're going to yep. sit sit down and share some beers. Yes, absolutely. We're all going around his, and he, and he can cook a fancy meal, present us with, with the national cuisine of Canada. Poutine. What is the national dish of Canada? Does it have a national dish? Uh, poutine. Okay. I don't know. That's probably more Quebec, but yeah. Maple syrup. Canadian beer is good. Yeah, Canadian beer. We'll drink them all. Next destination after Canada <laughs> will be going to Denmark to Barry's house. I bet she, well, we know from the pictures that she posts on Twitter that she, she always uh, provides a good table for her guests. So there you go. Bottom line is, if oh, yeah. we know you on Twitter and we know that you, you have a well-stocked larder, we will at some point come round and visit you. And we do know where you all live. Yes. So there you go. Right. Next lot of questions. I say questions plural because somebody got a little bit carried away and sent us what? Something like two dozen questions. A lot. Yeah. Dan. Dan has a splendid blog over at indicator.org. You can find all the details there of his Twitch channel as well, which is great fun. You should check it out. A splendid fellow. He's training to be a teacher, you know. Oh, 
which is a noble profession. Very good profession. Much respect. He has, as I say, presented us with a, a long list of questions. So I'd say, Brian, pick one that you fancy and tackle it. Uh, why did we start blogging slash the podcast? This whole thing really started with Mortar or Bust, didn't it? Certainly did. Back in the day, and I had wanted to... I was playing so much Lotro, this is before I met Roger, and I just wanted to have a fan blog about it. And then one day, it's literally as simple as this. I just thought, oh, there's some other cool podcasts out there. I wonder how I could do that. And I found some editing software, and I had a microphone, and I just put out an episode. There wasn't much more thought to it than that, to be honest with you. And to be honest, that's not massively different from my own experience. I started blogging in 2007. I was doing a work contract which had me based in a in a workshop and due to a problem and a hiccup in the contract we were being paid but not giving any work to do so I just spent the day I just perused the internet and just thought oh everyone seems to have a blog oh you can get a free one here signed up for that started writing and after about a month or so I decided to make my blog focus upon the MMO that I was playing at the time and that was the Lord of the Rings Online so I started running a blog called Misadventures in Lotra and typical fan blog a lot of the material that I wrote was very lightweight and upbeat and chipper because I was enamoured with the game, and basically it just all started happening from there. At that time, Lotro was a relatively new MMO. As you said, Brian, there were a crap ton of podcasts. There was um, Casual Stroll to Mordor being the most highest profile one. Lotro Reporter. Did you know they're still going? Oh, that's excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, they, they appeared in my Twitter timeline the other day. I thought, excellent. There was just lots and lots and lots of really good fan-related podcasts. And I heard your show, and it was you. And then later on, you were jo joined by Fury. Yep. And um, this was a time when there were two distinct sets of servers. There was the North American servers, and there were the European ones. And they, the European ones were run by a, a, a different company that had the license to run it on Turbine's behalf, and that was Codemasters. So things were slightly different. And I got in touch with you and basically gatecrashed your podcast. You bulled your way into my life. It was, it was actually funny. You're just like, yes, I want to be part of this. Make me part of this. And I'm like, okay. So you very kindly said you can be the European correspondent. <laughs> Gave me a section on the show. Ended up being um, on it fairly regularly. And then after a while, for those reasons that always seem to happen, uh, time commitments or burnout with a game or a bit of um, a bit of both, Fury moved on, and we wanted to talk about other things as well as Lotro because there was this MMO explosion at the time. So we ended up just doing the Contains Moderate Peril podcast, and it's just been bowling along since about... You've been doing stuff since about 2009, and I joined you in about 2010, so we've got well over a decade behind us, haven't we? Hundreds of episodes, if you include Burton and Scrooge, yeah, and Mortar or Bust, and whatever else we've done, it's it's been an insane ride. It's been it's been good. Yeah, and we did it because it's fun writing a blog or doing a podcast or you know what contemporary gamers and enthusiasts do is usually set up a, a live stream of some kind or do YouTube videos. It's it's great. It's nice to share. It's nice to interact with people who like the same things. It's nice to feel that you're becoming an active part of a community. It's there's lots of positive factors. It's it keeps you it keeps you out of mischief. <laughs> uh, as my other half would say, you know, you go and do your podcast. Let me do the important. <laughs>
<laughs> no, um, we, yeah, like it, 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 the lots of positive reasons, but I think the underlying one was just pure fandom. There was something that we enjoyed and we were enamoured with, and we just wanted to share that enjoyment. Right, I suppose now I, I'm obliged to go through this list and quickly grab um, another question, which I shall. Actually, there's one here that I like. What What's the goal that you want to accomplish in 2022? For a long time now, I've missed podcasting. So one of the goals for 2022 was I wanted to bring back the Contains Moderate Peril podcast. And bless my soul, it's already been achieved and we're only on the 16th of January 2022. So I'm pleased with that. I'm, I'm also very pleased and very grateful for Brax Wolf and DJ Pimp Daddy allowing me to be on the Beyond Boss Fights podcast. And I am still going to contribute to that show. But that really helped me find my podcasting mojo again, as it were, last year. It was great fun being on that. Um, different dynamic, dynamic, but it, you know, at the end of the day, it's still with people who I like, their company, and I um, admire their their podcast work ethic, and it's always fun to discuss things. So, yeah, that's, that's one goal that I wanted to accomplish. Um, the other one is, and I've written about this on the blog, is... I do walking for pleasure. I mainly do urban walking or occasionally I'll be able to take a walk around some of the specific paths that ex and trails that exist in southeast London that are preserved by the local authority and they'll cut through woodland areas. I want to do more of that rather than just going for a walk for one or two hours. I want to tackle some substantive walks. We have a chain of walks called the Green Chain Walk in southeast London and you can break it into manageable chunks but some of them will take two thirds of a day to do. And I'm going to work my way up to that. I'm doing it for pleasure, for health reasons, and also because it's something else that I can then write about and share. So I'm hoping by the end of this year to have done some fairly substantive walks, and I'm hoping to document them on video, do maybe a little 15-minute summary. What about yourself, Brian? This is going to sound bad. I think I just want to get through 2022 healthily. If you know what I'm saying. Um, I unfortunately work, I interface with the public more than I would like to at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're having some issues right now within the company. Uh, a lot of people getting sick. Um, I also, I, I was walking a lot for about a year and a half. And I have uh, some physical issues that are kind of making me pause that right now. But the plan is to get back to that. And it's similar to you. It's walking for pleasure um, and exercise and health and listening to the Age of Conan soundtrack while I'm doing it. There you go. Would like to say to Dan, thank you for the huge amount of questions. There are some good ones here, and what we're going to do is we're going to bank them because at some point in the future we might well be doing a Ask Me Anything again, and these are all good questions. In fact, actually, some of them are good enough to be whole talking points for a podcast. So I do appreciate you putting in all that effort, Dan. It's just that for practical reasons, I couldn't. We can't work through every single one. Next question. It's from Fred Alas. Oh, Fred Alas. Fred Alas. The famous Lotro player who wrote the legendary Hit Bowl Guide. And uh, he's, yeah. another, he's another good guy. Uh, Very another, good person. Another person that it's always a pleasure to see their thoughts and their musings in my Twitter timeline. Quite a frivolous question. They said, what flavor Kool-Aid would mix best with gin? To which I would say... I only have Schweppes tonic water with my gin, nothing else. No lie? I like Schweppes tonic water, two or three fingers of gin, slice of lemon or a slice of lime, plenty of ice, and um, a nice long glass. I, 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 it's Rather than make myself one and then pour myself another one, I'd rather pour a quite substantive one and make it last. 
the day I learned that Roger has a surprising amount to say about Jen. <laughs> it's become very popular again in the UK. So you've got lots of artisan gins, ones that are made with fruit flavors. And that's fine. You know, drinking alcohol is not for everyone. So sometimes adding a flavor or making it sweeter or making it agreeable to somebody's palate makes sound business sense you know and at the end of the day if that's what someone likes drinking fair play to them I'm, I'm just traditional when i grew up and was a teenager lots of drinks were bloody unpleasant and you had to really persist at them before you developed a palate for them yeah unfortunately i do not drink anymore however i have had a good gin and tonic back in my day and i agree with almost everything you said uh, to answer the question, I think uh, lemon-lime Kool-Aid would actually probably be the best choice, just given that you put slices of lemon and or lime in yeah. a gin and tonic. However, I went to the Kool-Aid website, and I am very intrigued by the possibility of having gin with charcoalberry thin flavor. So that's my final answer. And I would just like to add, just as a cultural reference, and again, this shows my age, Kool-Aid for me is now forever linked to the uh, Jim Jones death cult oh. and the mass suicide in Guyana. Yes. And sorry, I know that's ever, but that's how they chose to, to kill themselves. They made poison Kool-Aid, didn't they? Way to bring the podcast down. <laughs> I'd say if, wow. anyone's, if anyone's listening and they say, what the hell is he talking about? Go and go and research that and read up on Jim Jones. It's yeah, fascinating, but horrifying. There are some good documentaries out there. And while you're listening, to bring it back to Fred Lassie's original point, pour yourself a cheese. Drink the Kool-Aid. Right. I do believe that the next question might not be, Brian, 100% serious. Oh, I took it seriously. Braxforth, as you will know from the Beyond Bossites podcast, says, is there a special cloth for cleaning monocles? Or can you use any kind of washcloth slash handkerchief? So, I have an answer for this. Well, be my guest. When, when you achieve the heights of stardom that we have achieved, Roger, it, it turns out you don't have to clean your own monocle. We have people for that. So I cannot answer this question. I'm sorry. You could ask our people. You could ask my butler, Perilsworth. <laughs> or if you want a, a boring and straightforward answer... It's a glass lens, the same as in a pair of glasses. You just use a disposable wipe with isopropyl alcohol or something like that. Something yeah. that won't leave a smear or a residue. And then you use a microfiber cloth so it won't leave any, any dust or pieces of fabric behind. Or if, if you're very dapper and stylish, you can wipe it on your cravat. <laughs> In a similar vein, the next question from DJ Pimp Daddy, also from the Beyond Boss Fights podcast. He says, please just insult me in a polite British way. I have no questions. Well, this is quite interesting because Rick can insult you in a traditional way and invoke a great deal of, shall we use colourful language, um, Anglo-Saxon words that have have been deemed to be culturally offensive the same way as you know, anyone from any other part of the world could swear and curse at you. But I'd, I'd say if there is quite a noticeable sort of cultural trait about the Brits is it's that passive-aggressive being oh. rude. <laughs> Where if you're dealing with someone and they are being officious or they're being bullshy and they are patently in the wrong or factually incorrect, we will invoke in expressions like, with the greatest respect, which basically means completely the opposite. Listen, you absolute fucktard. 
So you'll get a great deal of that, you know. I'm sorry, old chap, with the greatest respect, I think you'll find that you are gravely mistaken in that opinion or with your assertions. So that's one way that we would do it. Uh, um, another thing that I think is a foible of British insults is particularly certain regions of the UK. You can tell that someone's becoming angry and becoming more annoyed with you and therefore their comments are becoming more venomous with you by how calmer they become <laughs> like they can say something in a very calm way that it could be um really 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 sinister like you know i really do think that maybe you should stop doing that now so i would say with a brit it's not just the insults, it might not sound actually insulting. It's a question of be aware of how they're saying it. But there again, Brian, you spent the last decade talking to a Brit. What's your angle on this? You have said some stuff to me that is shockingly rude in the most polite way possible. Over, over the year. And I'm kind of just used to it, so I don't even, it doesn't bother me at all. Right, the next question is from Jadia, who can be found over at dragonsandwhimsy.co.uk. It's a good question. How have the hardships of the past couple of years within the world and your personal lives affected your passions for video games and movies? You want to jump in first, Brian? I don't know that it has affected my passion for video games. However, the past past couple of years have been tough for me personally, even outside of the world events. And work has been difficult, and so I just simply don't have as much time as I used to have for them, which is kind of interesting because I think we're in an environment the past couple of years where sometimes people have had more time to be able to um, engage in these activities, but I've actually personally had less. Still, still like it all, just haven't really been able to do it as much as I would like to. Again, this sort of links back to Void's question at, at the beginning of the show. I still get excited for new games. I still have a passion for video games and good movies. I think now it's just tempered because I'm older and allegedly wiser. And I think also I'm a lot more discerning. Rather than seeing a trailer for a movie and thinking, that looks awesome. It's like, okay, that looks interesting, but we'll wait and see. And it's exactly the same with video games. I can still on occasions do something within a game and you, you, you get an accolade or you hit a milestone and you, and you feel really good about it. That still is there. I think it happens a little bit less frequently now. Um, all too often I, I find games just don't have the same sort of hold on me. And it's the same with movies. There are still good movies being made. It's just that you have to look harder to find them because the mainstream outlets have, are just chock-a-block with big franchises and formulaic films that are entertaining and fun and make money, but they are very much more of the same in a bit of a production line. So I'd say how it's affected my outlook is, is I'm just a little bit more discerning now. And that works well. Because it means if you don't have high hopes for something and then it turns out to, that it, it's not that good, you're not disappointed. And if it exceeds your expectations, then it's a win-win, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the fact that we are doing this podcast again says a lot about our passions for uh, these things. Finally, got some good questions here from Tessa part of our uh, bloggers blogging community on discord you can find tessa's website over at narrates.com a published author um, always welcome her thoughts and um, insights on things and she's provided three very good questions two of which i'm going to hold in reserve again um, 
the last question is, I think, quite pertinent because we're coming round now to awards season. It will be starting soon. What do you think about awards like the Golden Globes and the Oscars? Do they have any value to you? And will a nomination or a win convince you to watch a movie? Now, I like that question because there has been a lot of debate in the last, actually for the last decade, really, about the relevance and validity of awards like the Golden Globes and the Oscars. And I don't actually think they are as relevant as they used to be. I think they don't cast their net wide enough. They overlook a lot of things. They are exclusionary by nature, and people of colour, female writers, directors, seem to get overlooked. A lot of content from outside of the US doesn't seem to get the exposure. And I don't know if they're ever going to get their house in order. They've been told politely and they've been told aggressively over the last decade or so that they're not being inclusional and it's to the detriment of the movie and industry i think they're slowly going to become less and less relevant oscars last year best supporting actor won by anthony hopkins and by his own admission he said he's already won awards from them before they really should be looking to other people rather than honouring him, which I thought was a very bold thing to say. I think they are slowly going the way of the dodo. They are just not moving with the times. They're not being relevant. An Oscar is an indication to a degree that something might be worth at least researching further but it's not always, always indicative of a film being exceptional. Sometimes you do feel that certain films, certain genres, certain types of films and certain types of performance are instantly going to make an Oscar shortlist or a Golden Globe shortlist. So I'd say unless they really do pull something quite radical out of the bag in the next couple of years, they will just continue to become irrelevant. People will just set up new awards and it will hopefully then reflect the people who are progressing through the industry now who deserve recognition, regardless of who they are and what their background is. Yeah, I'm I'm much more of a an outsider than you as far as movies go. Um, I don't really follow uh, movies, television, that kind of stuff at all. So the value of these types of awards is, for me, that it bubbles these things up. Mm -hmm. And it makes me aware of them. And if it's, some, if, if it's a film like Lord of the Rings winning an Oscar, that doesn't really help me. Because I already like it. But what what it does do is it makes me aware of performances or of entire movies that I may not otherwise be aware of ever. You know, maybe there, you know, a lot of times there's buzz around these and I'll kind of catch that just in my daily life, but usually not too much. Um, as far as convincing me to watch a movie, typically... I think it more raises my interest in it, but I don't think I would just go out and watch a movie because it won an award or was on a list. But I do think there there is a value to somebody like myself. However, I also think it's just more of a reason to celebrate themselves and is somewhat a popularity contest, especially for the acting there there are a lot of good actors and I've seen a lot of amazing performances that have never ever appeared on any list. There is a great deal of lobbying. There's a great deal of money spent on promotion, particularly when it comes up to awards seasons. And 
I don't like that. That means that there are small, low-budget projects out there that deserve praise that might be nominated, but then they don't have the hype and publicity machine behind them that some of the big studios do. And I don't like that. I also think that sometimes you need categories that the public can get behind, like a viewer's choice, an audience choice, because we don't all like the same thing. The Oscars often favour art films, serious films, and sometimes there's nothing wrong with recognising popular films. Because at the end of the day, a film, one of its functions is to entertain people. So maybe it's time to accommodate an element of that, have include categories where the public actually get a say. So, that is the end of the Contains Moderate Peril podcast, episode 183, the Ask Me Anything podcast. Thank you ever so much to everyone who provided questions. Like I said, I know we didn't use all the questions, but we've we've got them banked so that they're not going to get overlooked. They will be used by hook or by crook in other shows. Thanks once again to everyone who's listened to the last couple of episodes of the newly returned Contained Moderate Peril podcast. There were some initial teething problems, but the show is now available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. And in the coming week, I'm hoping to get it on some of the smaller to intermediate platforms. So people now should be able to easily find the show and subscribe to it and again thanks for everyone who's been supportive and listening so far it's been very pleasant to return because there have been so many constructive and positive comments yes and thank you everybody i am personally blown away by the amount of people who submitted questions for this that's pretty cool Right, we will be back, like a bad penny, (laughs) in a week's time. Until then, thanks very much indeed, and uh, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. You've been listening to Contains Moderate Peril. For more information, visit ContainsModeratePeril.com and follow us on Twitter at Moderate Peril.